appreciate everyone being here this morning. It's, uh, it's been really nice over the last uh, few months to have different speakers to uh, be able to speak to us. We've had a really good response from everyone, and we're anticipating uh, the new family to come in in June, and uh, we look forward to the Britt family being here and uh, starting the ministry with them, but uh, it, it's been uh, been very good, and uh, it's kind of nice, really, that uh, we don't get a whole lot of uh, uh, publicity about who's speaking, because uh, uh, you walked in, and it's such a kind-hearted group that when you picked up the uh, insider and saw my name, you didn't turn around and walk back out. So uh, I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. So, uh, uh, But, no, it, it's been really good. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak. Uh, when I uh, told Scott I would speak again, uh, we started talking about dates, and this one worked out because of travel things. And... Uh, it was not till I was talking to uh, our son one day, and he said, oh, I see you're preaching on Easter Sunday. And I said, oh, I am, aren't I? And uh, so uh, I uh, hope this morning that I'm able to say something, uh, to relate something that will be beneficial to you and your Christian life, and, and that's my goal. So if you would, let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as uh, we come to you today, we uh, are so grateful for the uh, opportunity to come and to uh, worship in your name. Heavenly Father, uh, it's such a beautiful day today, and uh, I can only begin to imagine the beauty of that first Sunday when uh, those who went to the tomb saw the open tomb and realized that your son had risen from the grave. We have beautiful days now, but that had to be the most beautiful morning that uh, we can even begin to imagine. We're grateful for your son and what he has done for us. And this morning, dear Lord, I just pray that you'll, you'll bless us with open minds, with open hearts, and we pray that you'll uh, bless the words that uh, I... I'm able to relate in such a way that uh, they are meaningful to those here and that they enhance our ability to live our Christian lives. This is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as, as most of you know, I, I recently retired and uh, after 45 and some odd years of, uh, of work, it's, it's been very nice. Yes, and I, and I know that the uh, child labor laws were not much back 45 years ago, so uh, uh, at least I would like to think that. But as I was emptying my desk and uh, cleaning out my office, I, I, came a, uh, I found a folder that I had been keeping over the years, and in that folder, I would put uh, articles or, uh, or sayings or different things that I thought were, were really meaningful in some way or another. And uh, so, uh, actually, I started going through that, and uh, once I got home, I actually read through uh, quite a few of those things. And really, uh, between that and it being Easter morning, there was a couple of things I found that, 
uh, brought on uh, the title for this, the uh, message this morning. You know, how clear are your colors? And you'll see later in the sermon where that thought came from. The question that I ask myself, knowing that as Christians, our purpose is to bring glory to God, is what things in my life, in what ways do I really bring glory to God? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul addresses an issue that the church there was experiencing. Uh, he, he said, you know, they're worldly. And he said, uh, you know, we, you were young in Christ, and I had to feed you with the milk of the gospel, if you will, uh, the very basics. But in that uh, chapter, he's talking to them, and he's saying, you know, you're not really growing the way that you should be. He said, I'm still having to feed you with the basics or with the milk of the gospel. We find numerous references throughout Scripture on how we should be growing as Christians. And in Colossians 3, we uh, find a number of references there. And here in the verses 5 and then in 8 and 9, we, we read the following. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then on down in verses 8 and 9, it talks about ridding yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. And don't lie to each other. You know, for those of us who are raised in the church, I think uh, some of these are really just kind of tweaking uh, what we have in our life that's not good. But those raised outside of the church, I've known some folks who became Christians, and they really had to change their life because it was so dramatically different. But you know, there's exceptions to both of those. I've seen people who were raised in the church that uh, the word rascals came to mind. You know, they they lived a life that was pretty rough. And then I know some non-churched people. The only thing they're really missing in their life is a relationship with Christ because their, their moral standards are, are really good and so forth. But, you know, as Christians, we all have to be careful of the things that are in our life and we have to remove them. But on the other hand, We also have ways that we need to grow. On down in the third chapter there, it states that therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
know, our personalities differ. I am one that, you know, I, some would say that I'm extremely patient. Some might say I'm overly patient to the point of a fault. And I admit that's, that's true sometimes. I will be patient beyond where I should be. So that's not necessarily one I have to work on except for not being too patient. But there are others that, you know, uh, they have a gift of compassion. Now, as most of you know, my background's in accounting and finance, and things are pretty well set in that area. And I tend to be very practical in a lot of ways. And sometimes I fail to be as compassionate and feeling as I should be. So each of us has these areas in which we need to work on. But these things don't happen overnight. As Christians, we've got to grow. It's a progressive and ongoing effort that we need to make. In fact, if we were to live to be 120 years old, we would still have things that we need to be working on. It's just a fact. Just before these following verses here, Christ had, or Peter had talked about the fact that of Christ's grace on Calvary and, and uh, the divine power that we have behind us. And he said, because of this, because of the grace, because of the power that we have in Christ, he said, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. There's that word again, love. It's a key. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this scripture covers a lifetime of growth. And I think the key there, when we really look at it, are the words, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. That term, in effect, or in increasing measure, indicates the continued growth and an abundance of these qualities that we need. So how does God assist us in attaining growth and becoming the mature, effective Christian that he desires us to be? One of the articles I found in my folder there at work uh, kind of talks in this general direction. It was an article about a greenhouse owner a greenhouse owner had hired a gardener to help in his expanding business. And this gardener was very careful. He was methodical and a really hard worker. And while the plants grew, in spite of his work habits, they really didn't flourish. The business was strong, so the, the greenhouse owner hired another, more experienced gardener. 
And immediately the plant started growing just a lot more and doing a lot better. So the first gardener watched to see what he needed to be doing. And he explained what happened. He said, when I transplanted flowers, I removed them very carefully from their pots. He said, I disturbed them as little as possible. But this new man, he didn't treat them that way. He said he was rough with them. That he didn't care how much he disturbed their roots. He said, I thought he would ruin the entire lot. As he was so careless in his handling of the plants. He was silent for a moment and then he said, but they are really growing. See, the roots of the plants in the pots, they had become packed tight. The experienced gardener, by his apparent roughness, loosened the soil and gave the roots a chance to breathe and stretch. He made growing easier for them by handling them a little roughly at the appropriate time. You know, sometimes as a Christian, I become satisfied where I'm at. Maybe a better way of saying it is I become a little too comfortable in my Christianity. And I think in doing so, I sometimes limit my opportunity for growing, for reaching out, for expanding my influence on others because I'm comfortable and I'm not willing to take those chances to step out and to grow. I want to do it my way. In fact, I do what I prefer to do. I guess my question is, are any of you all in that same boat? Do you ever get a little comfortable with where you're at as Christians? You know, Scripture is so full of examples of those who were uprooted somewhat against their will. But they found growth in becoming more effective when they submitted to God and and really stepped out. In fact, they perpetuated the the movement of the gospel and the teaching of, of God by doing that. I want to look at a few in the Old Testament, uprooted and replanted. And I, and I know we know the stories of these individuals. And, and in fact, each of the individuals, we could, we could base several sermons on that. But we look at, look at Abraham. Wow, he was uprooted and he was told to take all that he owned and go to a land that he was promised. Abraham made a few mistakes. You'll probably recall a couple of times he lied about his wife, Sarah, out of fear. You know, he he made some mistakes. He moved everything he had at the age of 75, and then later in life, two children at an old age. And I know we've got uh, our first grandchild. In fact, we'll be going for her first birthday next weekend. And it is really great 
it would be better if she lived a little closer uh, rather than in Iowa. But the fact is, it's kind of nice to have a grandchild that you can go and that you can play with and you can see growing and then not have that responsibility full time. I'm not so sure at my age that if I had a child that young that I would be able to handle it, to be honest. And then I look at uh, Abraham, and he was uprooted quite a bit, uh, you know, at, at that age to have two children. So he had to expand and grow a little bit in that respect. But, boy, he was really uprooted when he was told to take Isaac and sacrifice him. But by doing so... God blessed him in tremendous ways. First, he blessed him by stopping him from sacrificing. But then the other uh, gift that he got from that is I think his faith grew tremendously through that experience. And we see the results of his life. Next, we look at Joseph. Again, uprooted in many ways, turned around and so forth. The story of Joseph is one of my favorite in Scripture. Now, Joseph was uh, probably not real liked. I say that. Pretty good proof that he wasn't liked too well by his brothers. And I suspect Joseph was just a little bit spoiled, maybe even enjoyed uh, some of the things that uh, he put over on his brothers and, and did. But then we see that he was sold into slavery, ended up, even though he was innocent, being thrown into jail, into prison, staying there for a while. But we see that later on, brought out of jail, thrown into the second highest position in Egypt. And later on, we know the story. You know, he was able to store away the crops and so forth and even save his family from the drought and the famine that uh, they were being faced. Moses, another one, we see the things that he went through from, from birth, you know, floated in the river in a basket. And then we see him defending one of uh, the Hebrew uh, brothers of his, brother in terms of being a fellow Hebrew and was forced to flee. And then the burning bush and Moses was pretty reluctant to uh, have his roots disturbed and uh, be put in position of being a leader but then leading the Hebrews out of Egypt and then stranded for 40 years. And we know he made a few mistakes but through the, the things that he went through, it was tremendous. And the last one, I, this one just uh, kind of jumps out at me because Jonah took things in his, his own hands. God said, I'm going to shake your roots up a little bit, and I want you to go do this. And Jonah said, no, no way. I, I'm, I'm leaving. He I got on a ship and uh, uh, took off the other way. But God said, no, nope, you're not doing it that easy. And uh, uh, quite frankly, it'd be pretty, I'd be pretty shook up if I got thrown in the water and swallowed up by a fish. But he did that, and he went through, and he did, uh, did what God had asked him to do.
As we look through Scripture, we can see many others in the same way. But they had weaknesses just the same as we do. But if we turn over our talents to God and let him guide them, he can do tremendous things with that. So what about us? How will your life be remembered as a follower of God? How will mine? Back in the 70s, a gentleman by the name of Ben Spear wrote a song called The Brush. I think the words of this song really talk to us about our lives and how we live them. And in some small way, it really captures all of us. I want to read those words to you from that song. It says, life started out like a canvas and God started painting on me. But I took the paintbrush from Jesus and I painted what I wished to see. The colors I painted kept running. The objects were all out of size. I had made a mess of my painting and my way now seemed so unwise. So I brought the painting to Jesus, all the colors, all the pieces so wrong. In the markets of earth, it was a worthless, but his blood made the painting belong. He worked with no condemnation. He never mentioned the mess I had made. Then he dipped his brush in the rainbow, and he signed it, the price has been paid. When I gave the brush back to Jesus, when I gave the brush back to him, he started all over life's canvas to fill. When I gave to Jesus the brush of my will. You know, Human nature has not changed. No matter how hard we try, we're always going to fall short. But God, through the gift of his son, he's provided an answer for mankind when we err and fall short. So, so what, what should we do? You know, the New Testament provides numerous examples of those who were great followers of Christ and God's will. But we see they also fell short at times. And there's only one example in the New Testament of anyone who never fell short. And although we can never reach that level of perfection, his, his example is the one that we need to aspire to. You know, Jesus Christ did live his life as an example for us even though he had another goal in mind as well. The scripture that was read earlier by Derek vividly details the difficulty Jesus had in facing uh, the punishment and death on the cross. He was really burdened by the pain and suffering that he was facing. And he was facing that for what reason? 
Well, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, it gives us a very vivid picture of what his pain was from. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What a debt we owed. What a price he paid. So what should be our response? In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Scripture tells us that we're to take up our cross daily. The cross is a death instrument. We're to die daily to ourselves and serve God. We should ask daily for opportunities to serve. We need to study and pray. It says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We need to be familiar with Scripture. Study of Scripture is critical. Michael Gossage gave a a really, really effective message on that two weeks back. If you didn't have the opportunity, you should go back and listen to that. The other message that we have from Christ is within the prayer that he prayed just prior to his arrest and crucifixion. These words were in one of the verse. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. How can we expect to to be asked to do anything less? God has given us the work to do, and that is how we bring him glory, by doing his will. The work that we have to do is perfectly matched with the abilities that God has given us. And we need to take an opportunity to to share that when the opportunity presents itself. Many of you will remember What Jerry Barber said in one of his lessons, I've heard it in a a message from him. And what what is our duty as Christians? It's to do what we can with what we have where we're at. If we do that, God will continue to show us the way. I want to close with a 
article that uh, I found in my folder again, and it's one actually I used to pull out and read occasionally. And I like to read it because it challenges me. Hopefully it will provide a challenge to you as well. Bob Moorhead wrote this a number of years ago, and here's what he says. He said, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, lean by faith, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way sometimes rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, and my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of, my, of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. How clear are my colors? I started out, how clear are your colors? But what it really comes down to is how clear are mine? I can't, I can't save you. I can't do anything for you. But this should be the question that you ask yourself as well. How clear are my colors? Christ gave us the opportunity to have perfectly clear colors by what he did some 2,000 years ago by living his life, sacrificing his life on the cross and shedding his blood for us. And you know, 
Bob Moorhead wrote that, but I can guarantee you he didn't live up to it 100%. That can be an inspiration to me, but I cannot live up to it 100%. But that blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross and the fact that he conquered death and rose from the grave gives me the opportunity to live free in the knowledge that no matter what I do, as long as I am giving my best, my sins are covered.